All right, again, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be together, and it is a bit of an interesting heat wave here in February, which is very nice. I kind of enjoy it. Reminds us of what is to come. So it's great to see you all. We are actually in the middle of a four-week series that we are calling Sowing the Seeds of Faith. And in this series, we're really setting the table for what is to come in this next season at New, at New City. And Ash Wednesday, the season of Lent, will kick off a new series for us in a couple of weeks that we're going to call This Is Us. We'll talk more about that probably next week. But this week, Sowing the Seeds of Faith, we're in week three of it. And week one, you might remember, we talked about Abram and Sarai, and we talked about how God used their story to do something very amazing and exponential. And we spent our time talking about that idea that God thinks exponentially in multiplication. As humans, we oftentimes think in addition, God oftentimes thinks in multiplication. That's just kind of the nature and the character of God. That was week one. In week two, we talked about this right place, right time idea. It was during our Vision Sunday, we broke out some Ecclesiastes, and we talked about how Jesus said that his Father is always at work, and so am I. And us as a church in this right place, right time, are seeking the Lord to follow the Spirit's lead in what He's doing, not only in the lives of of each other, one another in this church, but also in our community. And this week now, our week three of this Sowing the Seeds of Faith series, um, we talk about getting in the game and why it's very appropriate, right? It's Super Bowl Sunday. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, happy Super Bowl Sunday, which I know is very important to everybody, not everybody actually. But it's called Get in the game. And the NFL Super Bowl is obviously on TV tonight. A lot of people will be watching. In fact, tonight's Super Bowl will be the most watched TV event all year long, right? There'll be millions of people tuning in to follow mostly the game and the commercials. The halftime show is always a big deal. Sometimes a little bit too scandalous, but it's always a big deal, right? The Super Bowl has a ton of energy around it, excitement. Tonight will be one of the highest viewed viewed television events all year. And you know what's interesting is that no child grows up thinking, I can't wait to watch the Super Bowl, right? No child thinks, I can't wait to spectate the Super Bowl. They never say, my heart's desire is to be a tremendous watcher of sports or any sort of game. My eight-year-old son, Ethan, who was just sitting up here with me, he oftentimes is carrying a football around with him. He asked to bring it here this morning. I said, no, I didn't want the lights to break again, you know, that kind of thing. But when Ethan is outside in our backyard throwing the ball to himself or in our cul-de-sac, he's not thinking, I can't wait to grow up and watch the Super Bowl, right? I don't know that he's thinking he's going to play in it either, but that's certainly not how we are wired. When we are kids, we're never thinking about being a couch potato watching something like that. No child grows up interesting. Then we all grow up thinking, put us in the game, whatever the game might be. Now, when we were kids, we just wanted to be in the game. Some of us might have rode the bench. Some of us might have been in the game, but we don't, we weren't wired to sit on the bench. We were wired to play in the game. And today's message is all about this idea of getting in the game. Don't just be a spectator. And we're talking about this reference kind of to the Super Bowl. And I appreciate Jamie reading this parable because Jesus gave us this story, this parable that challenged us to consider how we get in the game. And of course, it's the parable of the talents, which is a very well-known story, a very well-known parable that Jesus 
told. And in the, in the version we read, the words were a little bit different. So let me just read it for you one more time. And I want you to listen to sort of the nuance of the different version, the way the words that come out when Jesus tells about the parable of the talents. It says in Matthew 25 this, For it is this, as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents. To another two, to each one according to his ability, and then he gave another one one. Then he went away. At once, the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents, he made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So Jesus tells us this story, and he calls this, tells this story to help people identify with the character of God. And this is master who calls his servants, these servants who had likely had very little. They had no money. They probably had no property. They probably had no career. There probably was very little prospects that these servants had. And the master gives them this unbelievable opportunity. And it really was an unbelievable opportunity. It would be, if you would have been standing there listening to Jesus tell this story back in that time, you would have been struck with how amazing this story was. And what would have grabbed your attention in this moment was the enormity of the money, the talent that he was referring to. It would have been an unbelievable amount of money that Jesus would have been telling about. A talent was the biggest monetary figure, the largest unit of measurement in Greek financial transactions. History shows that a talent, follow me on this math, a talent was worth 10,000 of what was called a denarii. And a denarii we've heard of in other places in the New Testament was about what the average person of the day earned in one day. A denarii was what the average person earned in one day. So a talent, follow me on this, was about 10,000 times what the average person would have earned in one day. Now, it is always tricky to try to take New Testament monetary language and translate it to today's world. But I read in one commentary that this is what they think it was. It was about 2 to $2.5 million for one talent. That's how enormous this monetary gift would have been. It was like the servant was winning the lottery. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the servant. And it shows the character of an incredibly generous master. This parable is a story about how God, of this amazing gift, offers the chance of a lifetime. What the master gives you and I, frankly, is the opportunity of a lifetime. In response to this, I want to pose four questions for us all today to wrestle with. And I'd like you actually not just to hear them and to kind of nod your head and say, mm -hmm, that's a good question. I'd actually like us to respond to these questions, okay? And there's two ways that I want to ask you to do this. Some of you know, um, I want you to actually write these questions down. So I want to ask you to pull out your phones, which I don't often do in church, right? But pull out your phones. Maybe there's two ways that you might respond to these questions. The first one is maybe you like to use your notes app in your phone. I use my notes app literally all the time. 
And this can be one of the ways that you can take some notes and at least write down these questions so that you can reflect on them a little bit today and especially later this week. But the second way is you might be aware that we use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, to post our sermon notes. Now, um, I will admit that in January I fell a little bit behind on some of our Bible notes, but Jamie does a great job of uploading these all throughout the fall and early winter. We use the Bible app to post our sermon notes. We're doing it again now the last couple of weeks. And if you open up your Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, and in the bottom right-hand corner, there's three little dots. If you click that, you will see a little option for events. And when you click events, you will find New City Covenant Church. Click that, and you will see our sermon notes. And there's a place for you to write in your own notes on that sermon app, okay? So you can use your note app, or you can use the Bible app. But I want to pose these four questions, and I want you to hear this. Remember, these are questions in response to how God the master gives us all this amazing gift and the chance of a lifetime. The first question is this, and it will be on the screen. What have I been given? Write it down. Think about it. What have I been given? Now, let me give you a few answers to get you started. That's okay. You are alive. Where it's a gift, right? Life is a gift. So write down the word life in your Bible app or in your notes. God has given us us each life. So what is that worth? Next, you have some gifts. God has given us each gift. These are things that you might be good at, like encouragement or strategic thinking or a number of other gifts that are given to you by the Holy Spirit. Just write down maybe a couple of them. What are you good at? Some of you have gifts that you are good at. Write them down. What about... Your physical ability. Perhaps you might write down your energy or your sanity or your physical ability to do something. We cannot take those things for granted. If you've ever lost some of your physical ability for a time, you know how important it is to have that ability. What about your experience? You've all learned so much through your lifetime, through the highs and the lows, the challenges and the joys. How is that something you have to offer? We all have financial resources, and here we go, the pastor talking about money, yep, let's just say it this way. I would like you to write down in your notes app, maybe not a number, but when it comes to finances, write down this phrase, financial generosity, because we all represent one of the most wealthiest group of people in the world. So how do we take what's been given to us financially and be generous with it in the name of Jesus? What about your wounds? Now, I don't mean to say that and imply that God gave you those wounds, but a lot of times God God will often use our wounds even more than our strengths to bless others, to help others find and follow Jesus, which is our missional call. A lot of times it's when people have gone through a hard tragedy or a difficult addiction or some sort of challenging situation like that, that we can help others move forward in their life because God rarely wastes a wound. What about your wounds? What about your education or your friendships or your relational networks? And then one of the greatest truths that we have, the greatest gifts that we have as Jesus followers, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, is we have this gift of the forgiveness of sins, the promise of an eternal relationship with a good God who loves us. 
That's what Jesus promised. Eternal life. What gift have you been given? Most of us realize when we look at these things, it's been so much. And this week, I'd like you to process what have you been given? And after you answer that question, it begs the next question. So question number two is what will you do with what you've been given? Oh, servant, when the master gives you this gift, what will you do with what you've been given? Now, I want to pay attention to a very important word that Jesus uses in this passage. It says in verse 1, For it is if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property with them. The word entrusts is such a powerful word. Jesus described the master's generosity with the word entrusts. In other words, this is not something he does just for the benefit of the servants. It's part of the master's larger plan. Whatever the Lord gives me now, he will ask about it later. My mind, my body, my gifts, my imagination, my creativity, my relationships, all my stuff, all my resources, all my time, everything. Whatever the Lord gives now, he will ask about it later. And so the master gives his servant all this money, his servants all this money. And notice one of the most important aspects of this parable. This is very interesting. Did you notice what instructions the master gave to the servants? It's very important. Maybe you don't remember. Let me read it to you again. It says, For is it, it is if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. <laughs> he doesn't give any instructions. He gives no instructions at all. He doesn't say, go and start a great business. Go and take the money and invest in Apple. <laughs> He doesn't say, go and give the money to the poor. He gives no instructions at all. He gives the servants tremendous freedom. He basically says, I want you to exercise your initiative. I want you to take responsibility. I want you to create. I want you to prayerfully dream. I want you to dare. I want you to try. And frankly, I want you to risk. Now, here's the key principle The master doesn't just want to use the servants to grow his money. He wants the money to grow his servants. God wants us to dream about how we can serve him. These three servants get the opportunity, and two of the servants can't wait. They cannot wait. Their minds are racing. They can't stop dreaming about what they might do with this incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And the parable continues in verse 16. It says, The man who received five talents went out at once and put it to work. And he gained five more. Think about that. Two to two and a half million dollars per talent. Jesus, Jesus uses three words to describe this servant. There are three verbs. Went, put, and gained. Anyone who looked at this first servant knew how serious he took the opportunity. He went out immediately, at once. It's like he can't wait. And if you contrast that servant's effort by the third servant, you see some stark differences. When the third servant received this gift, apparently his mind was not racing. 
Jesus tells us in the parable in verse 18, but the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. From that moment on, until the day the master returned, his life was not one single bit different than it had been the day he had received this amazing gift. This gift didn't prompt any dreams. It didn't prompt any dares. It didn't prompt any risk. It didn't change him at all. Now, we should probably spend some more time as a church um, in the future talking about the sin of omission. The sin of omission. The Bible makes a very big deal about the sins of omission. These are the things that I did not do, that I don't do. This is the love that I maybe don't offer. These are the words that I don't say. The service that I don't give. The gratitude that I don't experience or give away. Or the risk I refuse to take in the name of Jesus. The sin of the third servant, as the parable explains, is the sin of omission. It's what he didn't do. And we read further in the parable that upset the master. And it's a serious situation. He did not make his life a bold adventure of faithfulness to God. He didn't say yes to this divine invitation from the master. He didn't sow the seeds of faith. And notice, this isn't a failure that the servant did just one time. In fact, every single morning when he woke up, he was sitting on the treasure from the master. Every morning, he had a new opportunity to put it to glorious work. Every morning, he made a conscious decision to say, nope, I'm not going to do anything with this incredible gift that God has given me. Nope, I don't think I will do everything, anything for the master who gave me such a gift. And I can't help but wonder what gifts God has given us that maybe we have done nothing with in our lives until today. And that leads us to our third question. Our third question, I'd like you to write it down. What do I dream about doing for God? What do I dream about doing for God? Listen, this is the key question. Because when we start to dream about what we can do with God, with God's help, with God's resources, our lives change. What do we dream about doing for God? What is it that if you could do this thing for God, it would keep you up at night? You couldn't wait to get after it. I've written a few out. Maybe for you, it's you could encourage someone who's lonely. Maybe you could decide you're going to foster a child. Maybe you dream about feeding the homeless. Maybe you know two people in your life who are in an incredible fight and you can help them reconcile. Maybe you dream about doing something so significant that you fight sex trafficking in the Twin Cities. Maybe you could be a tutor at a dining high school. Maybe you could befriend a widow Maybe you could start a Bible study or commit to praying daily for someone. Maybe you could support and help a teenage mom. Maybe you have the, the, the smarts on technology and innovation and you could use that to dream about expanding the kingdom of God. Maybe you could mentor one of our high school students or one of our middle school students. Maybe you could use your artistic gift, your musical or your design ability for, to help people access and find and follow Jesus. Maybe we could figure out ways to serve the poor in our wider community. 
Or maybe here at New City, you'd prayerfully consider joining our leadership team. Maybe you would consider cooking a meal down at Soul Food. Maybe for some of you, you would love to volunteer and help out in the children's ministry once per month. Maybe you'd like to join the brand new properties committee that we're putting together. These are dreams. They're subtle and small, but they make a difference. It doesn't have to look flashy or impressive. In fact, the kingdom of God usually doesn't look like that anyway. What matters, friends, is not your capacity or how great what you do turns out. What really matters is your capacity to be obedient to God's call on your life and to be a good steward with what has been entrusted to you. And this leads to our last question, the fourth question. And it is this, what could keep me from being a good and faithful servant? What could keep me from being a good and faithful servant? We didn't read this in our parable today, but if you continue on in Matthew chapter 25, you hear Jesus say to the first two servants, well done, good and faithful servant. What could keep us, you and I, from hearing that from the Lord? For the third servant, the third servant who was given one talent, his problem, interestingly enough, wasn't greed. He was afraid to risk his talent. This is a guy who's afraid to take a step of faith. He's afraid to take a risk. He's afraid that he might fail. See, when you're doing something bold for God, like planting a church, you don't have to worry about failure in that way. A lot of people think about this in their minds. They think, if I could just live a life that was bold and adventuresome or a courageous person who never fails, that's just not a realistic part of our journey. If you take a risk, you're going to fail. Welcome to the world. We set ourselves up sometimes and we don't take the first step because our ideas are too lofty. But when we take a risk, we will fail. We will come under different challenges. That's why it's called a risk. The problem is that the third servant, like so many of us, misunderstand God because when we understand how good God is, how big God is, then my apparent success or failure doesn't have to weigh us down at all. There's a very striking contrast in this parable describing the behavior of the third servant versus the first two. It has a lot to do with our lives as well. Jesus says that the first two servants went out In other words, they went to get something done. The third one went away. The first two servants went to work. The the third servant dug a hole. The first two servants, they won more, but the third servant hid his talent. It's very interesting language he uses for the third servant. He says he goes away, he dug a hole, and he hid his talent. Now, there was at the time a religious community that you've maybe heard of before called the Qumran community. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, are, are, they come from the Qumran community. We've actually heard from them over the years, right? But they took their faith in God uh, and their religion incredibly serious. This was the Qumran community. But actually, because they were so serious about the religion, they had this discernment that they actually gave up on the world. They isolated themselves. And each of these verses that Jesus uses to describe the third servant actually described what they did. Some people think that Jesus may be, um, this parable was commenting on the Qumran 
community, the misguided notion of that community itself. They went away. They, they chose to withdraw from the society and the world. They dug a hole. This community actually burrowed into caves. That's where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. But they hid their talent. Whatever their gifts that God had given their community, and they had a lot, they hid it. They put it in a place where it couldn't be accessed. They knew the scripture so well, but they did not offer those gifts to the world around them. Not to any of the Israelites, not to the Romans, not to the Samaritans. They just hid them. They thought they were winning, but Jesus said that they were a disaster. They thought they were honoring God, but Jesus said they were doing the opposite of what God wanted them to do. And it's important for us as a church to get this. Our gifts are entrusted to us to be a blessing to the world around us. One of the examples I thought about this is related to Black History Month. It's February, and in our culture, we celebrate Black History Month. Um, last week, when we had our Vision Sunday, uh, I distributed a document. We emailed it out, and we gave it out at our, at our soul food time after church. And this vision document highlighted a number of different new vision, mission, and value statements that we as a church are beginning to lean into. I'm so excited about this, right? At the bottom of that document is a very intentional statement of our affirmations, our theological kind of underpinnings, our moorings, if you will. And it's related to the denomination that we're, we're widely connected to called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And the Covenant Church um, actually started out as a very mono ethnic denomination. In fact, it was started out by Swedish, Swedish immigrants who came over from Sweden in the 1800s and started different covenant communities. It wasn't called covenant back then. It was called mission friend communities all across the United States. But there was a time in our history where we started to understand that a mono-ethnic expression was not reflected of the kingdom of God. And so the covenant began to expand its understanding of what we needed to invest in. And there were a number of different pioneer leaders, leaders from different ethnic communities, African-American, Asian-American communities, and so on and so forth, that came together to build into this more beautiful way of the kingdom of God. Back in the 80s and 90s, there was a leader, a friend of mine named Harold Spooner, Reverend Harold Spooner, who was an African-American leader and left his African-American community to come and serve on covenant leadership team which at the time was a very mono-ethnic leadership team, and immediately brought diversity, brought a conversation that was more kingdom-focused than mono-ethnic-focused. And Harold, together with our president back in the day, they developed a tool for the church called the Five-Fold Test. And they produced this for churches like ours to ask questions about power and privilege and purposeful narrative, and it's ways for us to think about how do we share our community with the diversity of the world. And when I bring this up to you today, it is Black History Month. I want to honor Harold and his work and people like Harold who went before us and done a good work. But also, you need to know that Harold and others like Harold risked so much to grow the church. It's not easy. We know how divided our world is around cultural differences. But Harold stepped out in faith, left his community he probably grew up in, for the better way, the call of Christ, because he had been given a gift. His ability to create a resource for the church was amazing. And Harold did this good work. And I would say this, 
As Harold looked back at his life and his service to the church, I want him to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Harold didn't let racial divide in our culture stop him from following God. He didn't let these barriers stop him from leaning into the gift that God had given him to bless God's people. And neither should you and neither should I. What words do you want to hear when your life is over? Well done, good and faithful servant. This is our one and only life. This is it. We get to serve together now. What is the next step that we need to take to get in the game? Jesus is saying, church, I did not give you these gifts for you to keep them in a hole, to bury them, and to live for yourself. The challenge is for you to use your gift to God's glory, to get in the game. And I wonder if maybe the answer to these four questions can help us find our way onto the field that we've been dreaming about, playing in the game rather than observing someone else playing the game. What have I been given? What will I do with what I've been given? And what do I dream about doing for God? And finally, what can keep me from being a good and faithful servant? Perhaps the greatest measure of our church will be how we respond to the invitation to use what we've been given, what we've been entrusted with for the glory of God together. It comes from our response to the world's needs. That's where the game is played. And you and I are invited to join God on his mission for the world. May it be true in our lives individually and may it be true in the life of New City Covenant Church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you for this word. We thank you for your good word, God, that challenges us to consider what we will do with the talent that you've given us. What will you do? What we will do with what you've entrusted us with. And we ask, Father, that you, in the name of Jesus, would give us incredible vision and hope and wisdom, a collaborative effort in a congregation that represents family as we seek to learn how to best serve you and your purposes in this world. Thank you, God, for those that have went before us in the example that they have been to us. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to spur on a, a, a desire to follow your spirit and to hear the words, well done good and faithful servant. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. It is so good. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.